Welcome to another episode of The Bunkhouse. I'm your host, John. I'm an active duty Marine, so any opinion expressed on this show is of mine and not of military regulation or policy. In today's show, I have a guest that focuses more on offensive cyber, so it could be a little bit different uh, discussion type. He also likes to help veterans as they're transitioning out of the military or have already transitioned and wanting to get into cyber and IT. Also, by the time you're listening to this, I should have all my information about my retirement date and all, all those good things. So, Please listen uh, to the next episode. I may talk about that a little bit. So on to the show. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Bunkhouse. Uh, I have my next guest here, Mike Jones. He is a veteran in cybersecurity, if you would. Um, Been around the the industry for quite some time, so I'll go ahead and turn it over to him. Uh, to introduce himself. Mike, if you would, please go ahead and tell everybody about who you are and where you came from. Sure. It's a pleasure to be here, John. Um, it's an honor to be on your show. Uh, who I am, Mike Jones, and I came from a very interesting background. When I was a kid, my dad worked at the NSA. I was actually born right there at Walter Reed. Um, so I was kind of born into the intelligence community. Uh, as I gr- got older, I got involved in computers and technology, uh, thanks to my dad bringing stuff home from from work and and just you know getting us into computers uh, so that was uh, the very beginning and then as I got older I worked at an ISP for a bit back when DSL was big I don't know if anybody remembers DSL but I was a DSL admin and I helped take care of the Quake server and the IRC server uh, and that was kind of like the very beginning of the end for me so I got really into computers and really into IRC and, and hacking and, and teaching myself how to get around controls. Uh, then I went to the military and became a signal intelligence operator for the Navy. And I was stationed at the Joint Force Intelligence Command of Virginia. And I did a lot of really interesting stuff at that command, a lot of stuff I probably can't go into. And then I left and, and worked in the same compound when I got out. I actually took off my uniform, put on civilian clothes, went back to work and worked at the United States Joint Forces Command doing their CND and, and CNA um, for the entire Atlantic fleet in the Admiral, uh, which was pretty high speed, intense work. Uh, one of the first things that, that I went into during that time was uh, Operation Titan Rain um, hit us at JFCOM. And that was uh, my first experience with trying to battle the bad guys, right? Uh, then after that, I, I left uh, Virginia and went to, ta- to Dallas, Texas, and got involved with some hacking groups and, and some pretty, uh, I guess, nefarious groups. And that started another life, which lasted about 13 years until the FBI and I had a sit down to Jesus meeting. And uh, I worked for them for a year and left for Europe shortly after and had my passport revoked. So I lived in <laughs> Europe, kind of. Uh, you know, not a citizen for a couple of years and now back in, in uh, the U.S. But while I was over there, I did some really cool stuff with uh, the London police. I, I help kids do, uh, I, I go through their intervention workshop and help the kids try to make a better cyber choice 
uh, basically telling them my story and being sort of like a mentor for them. Um, right now I'm working with a kid who uh, hacked Talk Talk uh, some years back and did some prison time. And uh, I work with him and his probation officer and, and uh, getting him back on track and getting ready for a life in cybersecurity. That's awesome, Mike. So I would definitely say you're probably the most advanced, probably offensive uh, cyber, probably maybe even one of the real first real cyber offensive cyber guys that I've had on the show. I've had some defensive cyber guys. I've had some IT administrators, stuff like that. So like just kind of give you a little background on myself too. Like I didn't know anything about computers before I joined the Marine Corps. And, and I did, I, I've been in IT for almost 16 years, just because that's how long I've been in the Marine Corps. And then just recently over the last five years, really got into the cybersecurity side of it, but mainly the defensive side of it. And I will say what has changed my mind and how I problem frame and, and really even kind of do the architecture side of design texture of like IT infrastructure is really doing, looking at the security side of it too. I got involved with working with one of our SOC teams that we have and um, had some red team interaction with one of our exercises, which was really cool. We worked together, kind of building our relationship and kind of fighting them off and figuring out how that looks for us and stuff like that. And, um, and then had some real world stuff kind of come down the pipe that we had to do some investigation for, like make sure that we weren't compromised or anything like that. Um, I don't know if everybody remembers the whole solar winds piece a couple years ago. So oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only, like, I guarantee you most of my listeners had the same problem. I think the, the entire world had the same problem with that one. Right. And after that is really when I started getting more into the cybersecurity side of it and really trying to understand more about the defensive side. I'm starting recently getting into like the offensive side. Like I, I got the hack me box dot, like account and stuff like that. So trying to get more into that because I definitely know or have been able to to see that understanding the offensive side can mm -hmm. increasingly enhance your defensive mindset as well I, but also what i think is cool with you mike is that you take all of your experiences from before good and bad if we, if we want to say it that way not necessarily like bad isn't like not a good experience we, but, we can say it bad yeah yeah okay <laughs> Um, but taking that and turning that around and, and using that as a mentorship tool and, and helping young adults that are getting into this world and this realm and, and teaching them how to do it for the good of the world, right, or for the greater good, which I think yeah. is awesome because I don't think there's enough people out there right now that really help shape it that way because all they see in the news is all these big hacks that happen and people making money and all this other stuff. So they, they really glorify it in the news. Um, right. And there's movies that have been out since the 80s about hacking, right? So, like, every everything in the movies and the media is glorified hackers. So, I think that's another reason we, we see that a lot, too. Is But like having people like you is awesome. I commend you for that. Like, that is that is an awesome thing to take on. And I, I, I'm sure it's a difficult road. Um, could you talk more a little bit more about that, though? Kind of sure. going, like, how that works for you and stuff? Sure. It, it was really strange how it all started. I was giving a talk at Westminster University in London and just basically telling my story. And, and there was quite a few people there. And the promoter for the talk um, came up to me and said, hey, we're going to have a detective from the London Met sit on the panel with you after you tell your story. And I was kind of shocked because that was my first interaction with law enforcement post everything. 
Right. So we sat up there on the stage. We were both nervous. I, at, to this point, that was really my second time doing public speaking. Okay. Uh, so I hadn't gotten used to it yet. And so we sat up on stage and we kind of like poked fun at each other, you know, because, you know, the cop, bad guy type deal. <laughs> and uh, we became really good friends. His name is Andy Chapman. He used to work for the London Met. Uh, and he did the cybercrime stuff. And he invited me to go speak to the kids over there. I had to go through a background check. I think they went through Interpol to do a, a background check. And um, I got to go. And it was in the BT Tower. And there was all these kids all the way, you know, there's some as young as like 10 years old. Right. Um, so they're super young, all the way up to 18, and it's them and their families, and it's in the BC Tower. And I talked to the kids first, and then I talked to the parents, and I talked to them together. Basically, it's two different types of stories, right? So right. with the kids, it's you know about what I had to go through with the FBI and stuff like that. And with the parents, it's, it's more of a, this is how you need to connect with your kid. This is a the technology they use. You get used to it. You know, you get involved with, with what they're doing. Um, and that's been my battle for the past couple of years is really trying to get parents involved in what their kids are doing online. Um, I just recently did a documentary interview for Hon uh, Hacker Hunted, which is a, a series that Kaspersky puts together. Oh, cool. And, and uh, it was all about gaming and kids and, and you know, the, the dangers of it or whatnot. Um, so really, I, I focus a lot on kids uh, simply because of the fact that I think if, if parents understood their kids a little bit more, were more involved and stopped using computers and iPads as babysitting tools, I think that the internet would be a completely different place. No, I definitely agree. I will say that I am, I am guilty of my kids having electronics all the time. And, you know, from being in the military, sometimes like when, when the spouse is at home, that's, that's definitely an easy button a lot of times yeah. because it's all the other stuff that goes on. Right. And like, we're guilty of it too, but I try to talk to my kids about it too, but you know, I, your kids don't ever listen to you. They always listen to somebody else first. Right. <laughs> so no, I, I think that's, I think that's awesome. I try to tell my kids all the time, like, Hey, look, the things that you do online, like once you do it, it's out there. That's it. You can't take it back. There's a lot of bad people out there. Like I try to always, always express that and really emphasize that. Like, Hey, look, just, because you meet somebody online doesn't mean that's who they really are. So, and again, my, my oldest, she's 13 and she's like, yeah, dad, whatever, man. Like I only talk to my friends, like, okay, like I'm, I'm telling you, like, right. <laughs> okay. But no, like, that's really cool. Do you schedule stuff out in the States or how, like, how does that work? You do workshops or how does that work? So I do a lot of the workshops overseas, which means a lot of early mornings on Zoom. And, uh, you know, when I say early, I'm talking like three in the morning type yeah. early. And then I do uh, a lot of stuff here as well. I just spoke at um, the Pennsylvania Department of Education Conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and talked uh, to a bunch of educators and counselors, and parents. And I also do a speaking tour with TechStrong. Um, I have Boston coming up pretty soon. Okay. And I, I just do a lot of speaking in general, but I, I put a lot of emphasis on kids and right. mobile devices and hacking those types of smart homes and mobile devices. So, yeah, I mean, you can pretty much catch me any month giving a talk somewhere. Okay, awesome. Um, 
if, if you're okay with it, I'd like to get, get that information and, and put that in the show notes whenever I, I release the show. Sure. sure. But yeah, so I think it's, a, I think it's important too that you don't just talk to the kids themselves, but you're talking to the, the adults, whether it be the educators, the parents. The reason I say that is because I'm 37 years old. I know my generation of adult right now had later in life, the whole technology bid, but the ones that are in charge of like the educators and stuff like that, they're the generation before me and didn't have a lot of that, that education piece that goes along with it. And honestly, like even I didn't have a lot of education with the whole electronics piece either growing up. I remember my first laptop running windows 95 and having dial up internet at my house, right? Like those, those are the days that I remember. Um, Yeah. That's, that's high tech compared to what I had. I had a commercial <laughs> with no internet connection. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and the only reason I even had it was to, like to help out with schoolwork. Like I didn't do anything else because I didn't really know anything. And then whenever, right before I joined the Marine Corps, I came in in 2006. So that was the starting of the big boom of social media, like MySpace and stuff like that was the big one. And because LinkedIn was still, or it was only, no, Facebook was still only for college kids. It wasn't for like the regular population. And so that was the first big boom. And there definitely was no education behind it. Nobody told you how to interact online, what you needed to do, like what to be worried about, stuff like that. And so I, I think it's I think it's awesome what you're doing, going through and doing these workshops and stuff like that. I think that's I think that's a big piece of making sure the next generation that takes over for us that comes in behind us is, is educated the right way and understands right. the, the dangers, but also the benefits of having the technologies. Right. Cause I think that's important to not just stressing the dangers, but stressing the benefits that go along with it too. When it, when it's used. I the mean, right way. yeah, the, the, the benefits of having technology basically saved my life. You know, I, I have a pacemaker and it's, you know, pretty advanced technology. You know, if you think yeah. back, you know, 50 years ago, the oh, pacemaker, yeah. someone, someone who needed a pacemaker would have died. Oh, absolutely. So there's definitely uh, bonuses and benefits when it comes to technology. It's just, it depends on whose hands it falls into. Right. No, absolutely. And that's, and that's one of the things, like, I, I really wish they would make movies and TV series about stuff like that instead of glorifying the whole hacker bad guy thing. Because that's all I do is glorify it. So, so we did, we did start something like that just recently with Alyssa Knight. Um, I work with Alyssa Knight writing screenplays and what she has done is taking on companies who want to market their platform or software or whatever, cybersecurity stuff. And we make short films, 10, like 10 minute movies. So I did one for net abstraction. Uh, The trailers on YouTube, it's called ransom. Okay. Um, And then she just had another one uh, come out in LA. I believe last week. I think that's it. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's what she's trying to oh. tackle is trying to portray that story, like in a movie situation. That's awesome. That, that That's actually really good because again, I think, especially with the, the generation behind us, like my kids and stuff like that, like that's all they see is the glorifying stuff of it. And they're very impressionable at the young age. So that's all they think it can be or all it is. Mm-hmm. So no, that's awesome. And then for the listeners and stuff, I'll get the information for those as well. Make sure that they're in the closing portion of the show notes too, having the links for those. So sure. That's awesome. Cool. So you've learned a lot, especially post military about like what's gotten you to where you are. So what did you take 
from your time in the Navy and what did you take from that time and that got you to where you are today, right? They help you get through the battles and stuff like that. So I, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from the military is persistence. If you want anything done in the Navy, you have to be persistent. And I've learned that even dealing with the VA and, and following my disability claim, persistence is the only way to go. Uh, that's really helped me in my professional career. Also, um, you know, half the time when I was in the military, I would always hear guys say, just suit up and show up. That's yep. 50% of the battle. And I still go by that. You know, I, I try not to miss any work. I try to be as nice as I can to people um, within reason. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's that's kind of what I took away from that and a camaraderie. You know, it, the intelligence community in the military is a very small community. And it's a lot like the cybersecurity community. So coming into cybersecurity after intelligence was kind of a natural transition. But I, I still keep the same concepts and values as I did in the military with my professional work. No, that's awesome. I, I think that's a big thing too, because like, I don't know about the army or the air force. I've had a couple, I had a couple of air force uh, veterans on the show and, and it sounds like a lot of us talk the same language about what we've learned in our time in the military. And that's probably some of the bigger ones is the discipline that we learn about like discipline of ourselves, right? Not just like the actual military discipline, but how to discipline ourselves to do the right. things we need to being persistent stuff like that. I think, I think that's extremely important. That's definitely some of the stuff that I've learned too while I've been in the Marine Corps is that because so before I, I was a horrible employee, I had zero work ethic. I'm, I'm an old rodeo cowboy from North Carolina. So like I would just work nice. enough to get money to get me to the rodeos on the weekends. So mm -hmm. if, if my job started impeding on my rodeo schedule, then I would just stop showing up. I wouldn't even quit. I would just stop showing up. Yeah. <laughs> like, my work ethic was horrible, but the Marine Corps definitely completely turned that around. I mean, obviously, I've been in for almost 16 years now. So if that hadn't been the case, I don't think I'd be in as long as I am. But yeah. that's definitely one of the big things is work ethic and having the self-discipline to be better and, and to get better in, in every day. And so that's like right. one of the that's one of the things I definitely tell the younger generation of Marines that are coming in behind me is that like, look, like you can't be an expert at everything because I don't know how it was in the Navy for like SIGIT and stuff like that. But for, for in the Marine Corps, for IT guys, we are responsible for a ton of stuff. Virtualization right. of storage, server management, Active Directory, DNS, Exchange, right? And on top of endpoint security type things as well. So like, I tell them, like, you can't be an expert at everything. Be a generalist and know a little bit about those things that you're responsible for so you can actually provide to the team. But then find the one thing that intrigues you the most or gets those gears turning the most and refine that. Become great at that one thing. And I, and I think that being in the Marine Corps and getting a work ethic and understanding that along the way is, is really what's helped me get to where I am and because – most of my listeners already know too, like I'm going through a med board process myself. I just finally got all my stuff done and now I'm just waiting on headquarters Marine Corps to finalize my, my Terra so I can get my, my retirement date and go ahead and retire and start my next chapter. But yes. yeah, so like getting those things, understanding those things is really what's helped me get to where I am, but also has helped me kind of come to terms and be, be truly ready to start my next chapter because taking all of, all of that and taking that with me knows I'm going to be successful regardless of where I go and what I do, because that's 
how we've grown up in the military life is mm. regardless of what you have around you or who's around you, you have to be successful because the mission depends on it. So right. like, and so that's, that's what I always tell the Marines and, and anybody that I talk to, like, those are the things that you got to take away is, and, and, and just know like, you can't know everything and it's okay to not know everything. So. Yeah. And I think part of it too is, is the battle of being knocked down and trying to get back up. Um, I grew up in Texas, so I did a lot of rodeo back then too. Oh, nice. I used to ride bulls. So I, I know the, Me the too. Persist- persistence <laughs> in the getting knocked down and getting back up, Yeah, and, you know, never giving up. That's, that's one thing I've always held to. I mean, when I came back from Europe, I was literally homeless and I didn't have a job. Okay. Um, but those things don't keep me down. You know, like I go straight after it head on and build myself back up. And within six months I was built back up. Right. Uh, you just can't give up. Yeah. And I, and I will say like, I'll put a plug in for one of my, one of my buddies I have out in California. Um, he has a program for homeless veterans as well. And I'll put all that information in the show notes too in the closing, like a link to his, his organization and stuff. And um, I think a lot of times and, I'm not saying it is every time, but I think a lot of times is the ones that you still see that are homeless and are struggling are the ones that have tried a few times, but kept getting knocked back down. And it's just broken them down so bad that they just have given up. Like you said, like, but I want to, if there's anybody out there listening that, that knows a homeless veteran or anybody that's struggling, please like let them know, like it's not over for them. Like there's always going to be something for them to help them out. And like I said, I'll put the information in the show notes for the, for that organization. So cool. Very cool. So you've done a lot. You, so I would say you were primarily offensive cyber, right? Like mm-hmm. do you, had, did you do any kind of like understanding of defensive cyber, like security oh, yeah. controls and stuff like that? And yeah. So does knowing the defensive side help you with the offensive side and then vice versa, like knowing and being really in depth with offensive, did that help you, understand and be able to or better understand the defensive side of it yeah so i I love this question and i love it when people ask it because there's so much there's so much information and really important information when it comes to learning both sides of cyber right so so we both know battle we know battle theaters and and the threatscape in the physical world right right and there's no better way to stop your enemy than knowing their next move or being able to understand what they're doing or the politics behind it same thing with, with cyber. Cyber is just another battlefield. And the way I look at it is you have to understand the attacker. You have to know their motivations, the politics behind it, the group and the, the social structure, um, the weapons that they use. You know, we don't go rolling into Iraq without knowing what kind of weapons they use. Right. So same thing with cyber. You know, and I always tell my analysts, you know, um, when I first started this job last year, at Ideal Integrations, I, t- I told my analyst, I said, you know, I'm going to get you a book because I think it's very paramount that you read it. And it's Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Oh, that's um, a great book. I have I have a copy sitting on my bookshelf behind me. Yeah, it, it that to me, when it comes to life in general, um, I live by that book. That's and true. cyber, definitely the same. So, you know, I teach my analyst how to hack. I show them how I hack phones, how I hack USBs. Um, I do DNS steganography so that they can see what it looks like. Because if, if you don't have an idea of what's on the other side of that defense platform and all you're seeing is alerts, yep. you're, it's like fighting a, a, a fight with one arm. You, know, you right. just can't do it. So I, I try to teach them as much as I can in all aspects of cyber. 
No, that's that's awesome because I'm definitely like I said earlier, like when I get into cybersecurity and like understanding the importance of security controls and, and all that stuff is it's helped me and like really shift the way I think about designing my IT infrastructure because I look at the IT infrastructure and the security infrastructure mm-hmm. at, over top of each other now. And right. where are my true gaps at and where can I put controls or where do I not have to put controls? Stuff like that. And and it's funny that you say that you can relate cyber to the physical uh, battlefield as well, because it's anytime that I teach any kind of like cybersecurity essentials or anything like that to, to my Marines or like to the Marines within my unit and stuff, I just did one actually a couple of weeks ago. And um, one of the things that I, I always show them or relate it to when I talk about like defense in depth, because at, at least as Marines, we understand or we also get taught the physical battlefield as well, like defending a position and stuff like that. So like, mm-hmm. like, okay, so look at this from like a physical standpoint. Like if we are Trent dug in, we're defending a fob or whatever, mm-hmm. we do defense in depth. This, you may not understand it as defense in depth, but that's what we do. I was like, okay, so like when we have an outpost somewhere, what is their job? What is their only sole purpose in life? Well, to look and see what's going on out in front of you, like outside of your, what you can see at the front of five. I was like, yeah. Like, so what are they doing though? Well, they're going to radio back and say, Hey, we got this going on over here. Well, what does that sound like in your network? Oh, that sounds like an IDS, right? Right. There's a detention system, right? So like to everything that we have in the physical realm, hundred percent can be related to the cyber realm too. Like it's a war fighting domain, just as much as land, air, yeah. and sea are right. Like, yeah. It is. And, Literally every conceptually, you could take from every single one of those warfighting domains and overlay it into cyber, and it still works. Um, yep, it's just about the technologies and, and the mechanisms that you put into place, the controls that you put into place to do those things. It's really the only difference. And and the weapons and the actors are the same. I mean, yeah. if, if you look if you look at the actors, um, they could be equated different terrorist groups. You know, yep. and building an intelligence picture around that and. What does that look when it comes to your controls and, and signatures? You know, it yeah, absolutely fits in. Yeah, and, and and I'm not, I don't know a lot of like the analyst side, like the intel driven side of the cyber threats and stuff. But we're all human, so we we have trends in everything that we do. So if you actually have true attribution to a cyber threat actor, I guarantee you there's some trends from the site, the physical side of that same country or whatever. Mm-hmm that relate or show up in the cyber uh, analysis as well. Like there's a lot of the same types of trends. Um, right. And the same indicators areas. too. Yeah. The same indicators too, like, you know, language used in the code or certain words that, that we pick up on. Um, and that, that was another benefit of working intelligence before cybersecurity is it gave me that intelligence mindset. So when I go into the cyber theater and I'm looking at a skirmish or I'm looking at a front, it's easy for me to kind of like step back and build the intelligence picture. And that's what I always right. try to tell the analysts is look at the bigger picture. It may be one small attack on exchange server, but let's, you know, zoom out a little bit and look at the whole situation. Right. No, that's, that's awesome. I think that's extremely important to be able to step back and look up, look at the whole environment, um, not just getting tunnel vision and looking at your little piece of the pie. Because a lot of times that little piece of the pie doesn't mean anything without the rest of it. Exactly. So what have been some of your favorite subjects that you've worked on or worked with? 
Oh man, I, I love RF. Um, any kind of RF. I've been doing it since I was a kid. Uh, the first thing I built in the electronics kit was a room bug that transmitted the the voices in a room through FM frequency. Oh so, wow! Yeah, so I, I really <laughs> fell in love with RF at a very very early age. I would say I was probably less than ten when I got involved with electronics. So that took me to GSM hacking and, and you know MZ sniffing and, and stuff with cell phones. You know, can you, looking can you, at. Can you explain what those mean? Just so some of our sure. listeners may not know. Sure. So MZ information is identifiers for a phone, specific phone, uh, specific phone number. Um, it indicates uh, who the provider is. It gives you the phone number. It gives you all the detailed information for that device. Um, so it, a lot of these phones, you can like. I live in downtown area of Tennessee, right? And so I can pick up hundreds of cell phones every day. Um, there's ways to decrypt uh, the SMS messages. Um, okay. So that kind of stuff to me is really interesting. I love RF. Uh, when I can take somebody's key fob and record the RF signal given off by the key fob and unlock their door, it kind of freaks them out, right? Yeah. Um, but it, but it's, it's the impact that, that helps people understand the threats that are out there. Um, recently, I've been focusing more on mobile device hacking and more specifically Android. And I found a way to defeat two-factor authentication and get two-factor code, two-factor authentication codes on a rotating basis from a compromised device. Oh, wow. Um, so that's, that was really big for me. But yeah, like I, I love anything mobile. I love anything that has an RF signature. And to be honest with you, people probably don't know this, but anything that plugs into a wall that conducts electricity, you're going to get an RF signature or an emission that's kind of like an IOC for that device right? or an indicator. So yeah, I love RF. That's, that's actually pretty cool. Like before you were 10 years old, that's crazy to think about being able to record or transmit from one room for via FM, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's pretty cool. I, I never got into stuff like that. I don't know why. Like I am definitely super intrigued about stuff like that now, which I think yeah. is a good thing too, but yeah. that's pretty cool. Lock picking too. I love lock picking. So, and so, you know, it's funny. Like I tell people that too, like, look, like cybersecurity isn't just about computers and, yep. and actual tech stuff like that. It's physical security too. Like we learn, you have to learn physical security as well, because that's part of your defense and depth measures. Because yep. if you don't have physical security, then why even do your technical controls on your, on your, on your assets? Right. Because if I can just walk into a building and steal a laptop, what that does all the stuff that I did to, to, to throw it off remote access. It does nothing. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it all works together. No, that's awesome. Um, a lot of people I know that do cyber, even if it's not even offensive cyber, but just defensive cyber, they still understand. And they, I think that's probably one of the big things that they enjoyed the most too, is like the lock picking, just understanding how that works. Yeah. I learned a lot in intelligence school because there they taught us how to be situational aware, OPSEC. Yeah. There's so many pieces to the intelligence puzzle. And that kind of bleeds over into cybersecurity as well. Yeah, no, absolutely does. So based on what you know now, as far as your time in the military and just kind of your experiences, what, what, kind, of, what kind of advice or what would you say to the listeners as far as if they're transitioning currently or if they've already transitioned down, like what kind of advice would you give them? So when I transitioned, it was a little bit further back in the day and the transition process was not very smooth. And it was more like, here's your last check. Here's your C-back. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so take advantage of, of the programs that are there uh, to help you transition. You know, I started a, a nonprofit called Hackers for Vets, and my goal is to help people coming out of the military, men and women, to get into cyber. And when I say get into cyber, I want to provide the money, the, the certification vouchers for them to get those first certs that are so expensive that for some ungodly reason, the certification industry feels like that's what we need to do is, is rob people coming out of school or, or the military. I agree 100% um, on that. So trying to get them, you know, vouchers and stuff like that and money for equipment and just somewhere where they can, you know, touch base with somebody that, that knows what they're going through. Like I didn't have that when I left. Their, crypto and, and SIGINT was a very small unit in the military. Like probably 1% of all the military does that type of work. And so when I was tra uh, you know, transitioning to the uh, civilian side, I didn't have that, that person who's already been there. Um, so I just kind of had to forge my way through it. So yeah, take, take advantage of the, uh, the benefits. You know, if, if you can get that uh, military benefit that helps you build your own company, um, take advantage of that. Uh, and don't do what I did. Don't wait 15 years to file a disability claim. Do that early on <laughs> because that money can be vital in helping you transition. So, no, that's awesome. Um, can you go more into um, your hackers for vets? Kind of go in more to that, sure. that organization, what it actually does, and 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 how people can look into that and stuff like that. And I'll I'll make sure to put all the information in the show notes as well. Sure. So, hackers for vets was kind of a, I guess, a brainchild of me and my girlfriends. Um, I was going through the whole, you know, should I file a disability or not? This is what's happened to me when I was in. It caused this, it caused that. And I just thought, you know, with people transitioning, it, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of stress that goes on. And nobody wants to see a door slammed in their face, uh, especially when it comes to you can't get a job because you don't have a cert. So I wanted to alleviate some of that pressure and some of that stress that, that veterans feel coming out, um, especially the ones that are, that are dealing with like PTSD and stuff, um, because that can cloud everything else around you and, and yeah. make things difficult. Like a small task can, can seem like a mountain. Um, right. So I wanted to give them, you know, a life rope um, to help them get up on their feet and, and get to where they need to go. And plus just an environment where they can, you know, exchange thoughts and stuff. So I have the Haunted Hacker community, so that was kind of spawned off of that. We have a Discord channel. Uh, we actually have vets, quite a few vets in there that, that hang out. But the 501C3, I believe is what it's called, uh, we just filed last month, and we're waiting on our EIN. As soon as we get the EIN, we already have people like Gerald Osier and Matt Lee already on board. Uh, That's awesome. To help, to help out. So it, I see it being a pretty big unit at some point. And I really want to make sure that we get what veterans need in their hands um, before they have to struggle. No, that's, that's awesome. I, I think it's important that the ones that have learned the hard way with things and the ones that, mm. that can return the favor, stay connected with the veteran community. Because I think because what, what I would say is talking to a lot of veterans is, once you crash, cross the threshold of no longer being in uniform service, like they completely forget about you. Like, yeah, they, you're just, you're essentially just a number to them, right? They, they, they lose you. Now they need to make that up. So right. like, and that's it. Like once you're gone, you're gone. They don't think about you anymore. 
you may have a couple of friends here and there that actually care that you've made along the way. But as far as, as a whole, they're, you're just, you're, you're no longer there. So you can't, can't provide to the mission. So what good are you to me now? They don't really help. So I think it's important that, that we stay extremely involved with our own community and, and help out as we can. And I, I say that because with me getting ready to transition and within the next year, I'm looking at having my own nonprofit put together as well. And cool. it's going to be tailored more to helping combat the, the mental health piece and not, not just for the veteran themselves, but also for the spouses and the family, because I think they're the ones that don't get talked about enough. Yeah. When we're gone and stuff, they go through just as much stress as we do. It's just a different type of stress. So it doesn't yeah. get talked about as much because it, some people may not seem as important or as big of a deal stressor, but it is. And I think that's a, a, another reason a lot of military members, their marriages don't work out too well if they have a long career in it um, yep. is, is because that side of it, the family side of it doesn't get taken care of like it should. Um, right. So well, the, the Navy used to, Navy used to tell us um, we didn't provide a family in your seat bag. <laughs> yep. so. Yeah. We didn't issue one, right. We didn't issue a wife and kids. So, no, absolutely. I will say, though, like that has changed quite a bit in the last like five to 10 years, I think. But I, I still think it has a ways to go to make sure right. it's it's actually a good program or good resources. But again, for the ones that have already transitioned, could, are probably still battling with a lot of the same stressors that they had before, just in a different light. And still, again, nobody knows they, they nobody talks about those things. So not just promoting it for the veteran themselves, but for the family members too. Yeah. Those, those are the real silent warriors too, are the, are the family members, because, you know, looking back at my military history and what, you know, I went through, you know, I see some families where they're really put into a lot of stressful situations, especially in Virginia beach. You know, you've got little Creek there. You've got one of the SEAL teams at little Creek. Yeah. Uh, th- that's a pretty high stress um, life that they live. So. Yeah, it's like my my oldest, she's 13 now. She'll be she'll be 14 in September. And I've been gone pretty much half her life. And so yeah. now the second half is her preteen to teenage life. And I could definitely tell like me not being there for the first half is really kind of structured and kind of molded how she is now towards me. And it's right. and I'm trying to it it's getting better, right? But it takes time and, and effort. So like it's I can, never too late. It, it, exactly. Right. And I can definitely can, I can understand too, like in some instances where that can become overwhelming and it just right. completely breaks people because of that relationship, right. Or that distance of relationship. So, but no, like sometimes you just gotta be patient with stuff like that. And that's, that's kind of yeah. one of the things I'm, I want to try to promote too is understanding patience and, and getting at peace with, with nature and stuff like that. And so, right. That's one way I want to try to help combat that and give back to the community. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real issue, especially mental health and cybersecurity, um, yeah. and more specifically in offensive security. I, I can't count how many friends I've lost in the past couple of years due to mental health, right. uh, just within cybersecurity. So yeah. for those of you transitioning and not knowing a whole lot about the industry, it's a real problem. So And burnout kind of feeds into that. So don't right. kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, I think that's a big thing too is burnout in that and you can talk about burnout in any in industry too right? like I think I think that just in the military in general becomes burnout <laughs> because you're so dedicated to the mission you literally leave everything else behind and that's all you worry about but no like burnout is a real thing 
take take your take your leave when you can, right? Take vacation time. Make sure you still concentrate on your family more than anything, especially once you transition, because if you're not careful, the family won't be there. And that's yep. what should be there long term is the family. Yep. The job itself should never be your long term answer just to, to happiness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's unfortunately. One thing that's yeah, one thing I'm starting to realize now. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's that's part of my problem is I take on so much. I don't know how to say no, and that's one thing that the military never taught me how to say was no. Right. Uh, so I tend to I tend to overwhelm myself and not knowing it until afterwards. So yeah. again, watch your plate and watch you know how much you pile on yourself. Yeah, I I definitely started noticing that over the last few years, and I finally got myself to where I can I can put my family first even while I'm still in which I think is a great thing because that'll make it easier once I'm out too to put my family first so I've definitely like over the last year I've been trying to work on that more and I will say that's put a lot of stress on my wife actually because she's not used to that so getting me into the daily routines of a lot of things with the kids has put a stressor on her and not even meaning for it to be I'm, I'm trying to be there to help her more but putting me into the daily routine is added a stressor to her so it's a tricky situation military life is, is not for everybody no and i think the couples that make it through the military life are probably the strongest couples i know um, yeah. because if if your marriage isn't tested in the military you're yeah. not doing something right no 100 percent. me and my wife have been together since i was a lance corporal since i was an e3 and uh -huh. i am a chief officer two now so like we've been through some times yeah. Or and most of the, I would say half of our the first half of our marriage was deployments and me being mm -hmm. gone. The second half is me being a workaholic yeah. and still being at home every night, but being at work all the time. You know, so and intelligence the same way. Like so, we don't get deployed quite as often, but when we're home, we're not really home because right. half the stuff that we do, we can't go home and say, "Hey, this is what I did today." Yeah. You know, so yeah. that, that loads its own stressors to the situation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even a lot of stuff, like, especially over the last few years, um, really getting into the cybersecurity side of my, my job, like the, for as far as IT is concerned specifically, like there's a lot of stuff I couldn't talk to my wife about, like, especially the long days and stuff like that when, with the solar winds doing the investigations. And I was, yeah. I was named the lead for our event response team. So putting all together reports and all that stuff like that. Like I couldn't talk about a lot of that stuff either. Um, mm. I still can't talk about a lot of it now. I can talk about, Hey, this is what happened. And we had to investigate stuff, but, right. but that's really about it. <laughs> so, nope. and it just gets stressful. Like it's a different type of stress. Right. right. And so um, can you talk about a uh, haunted hacker real quick, your podcast? Sure. Yeah, yeah, you, sure, sure. you mentioned a couple of, a little bit earlier and I, I want to make sure that we, that we hit that too. Sure. Um, so the Han Hacker podcast literally came out of an idea uh, with me and my best friend in high school that I lived with in Alabama uh, while I was getting back on my feet. Uh, he said, people need to know your story. Um, people need to know what the government did, what, how they treated you, what happened after the military. So I decided to start a podcast, but it was just going to be me speaking to a camera. Right. Um, and it started out that way. Next thing I know, there's, you know, tons of people on the podcast, there's guests, and it just kind of blew up. And then we got picked up by TechStrong. Um, they rebroadcast the Haunted Hacker podcast three times a week on their show, Digital Anarchist. Um, and it's just a way for me to, like, get to know people. 
yeah. and leave behind a legacy, right? So the people that I interview, uh, I, I really dog on Chris Roberts because I'm always bringing him on the show. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And we've been around since it feels like Moses' time. It's <laughs> so I, the, the key is to have discussions with people like him and about what we went through and what the industry went through in the early days. So that, you know, later on down the road, there's some sort of book of Eli where right. someone can pick up this podcast and go, wait, this is what it was like 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Hopefully it, you know, survives the test of time. Um, but if not, you know, there, there's that little relic that, that I want to leave behind for the industry. Um, and I have people on there like last time, uh, last podcast I did, I had Richard theme on there. He's been speaking at DEF CON for 25 years. Um, awesome. Start off as a priest, and now he's talking about how technology affects human lives. Um, just really interesting people. And I make it a goal to learn something new from every guest I have on. I don't right. interview people just like me. I interview a wide variety of people just so I can learn something you know, yeah. and build on to, to my knowledge. Yeah, no, that's kind of how my podcast came about too. Like I was, I, at first I was talking about like maybe doing a blog or something like that and mm -hmm. just doing IT related stuff in general, but I suck at putting things on paper sometimes. It's definitely a lot easier for me to talk about things. So, uh, and so like the way I shaped this one is bringing veterans on that mm -hmm. can, that share their story and their journey in IT and or cybersecurity. And same thing, like I don't want it to be the same people as me that got pushed into cybersecurity or IT from the get-go in the, in the military. Like I really want people that didn't do any cybersecurity or any kind of IT stuff while in the military and being able to show how they transitioned into that profession. And, and, and hopefully somebody can listen to it and say, hey, that's awesome. Like I didn't know that and, and use that and to help them in their career or their progression, you know? Exactly. And, and also to help show that you don't need to know IT or cybersecurity to get into the industry. You right. just have to have a passion for it to want more and want to learn, right? So like, and, pl and plus gaining knowledge, the only way that you keep that knowledge, and it sounds really weird, it's kind of a conundrum, but the only way that you keep that knowledge you keep building on is if you give it away. Oh, absolutely. And so that's what I do. Everything I learn, I try to give back in detail. I, I don't try to hold on to secrets of the kingdom or whatever. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's what I tell Marines all the time too. Like, hey, look, like you can't be, you should never be the smartest person in the room. And if you are, you should be teaching the people in the room, right? And if you're not, you're, you're not doing it the right way. And then I also tell them that you have to learn something every day. You should be learning something every day because if you're not, you're doing that, you're not doing it right either. So you should always be giving knowledge and receiving knowledge all the time. Even if it's not like, job related or like it related like you should always be learning something yep. and always be able to provide something to somebody else because you can always learn from somebody regardless of who it is you can also teach somebody regardless of who it is yeah i'm, I'm constantly doing something like I, I just picked up 3d printing last year and, and to me it's exciting and, and it's a new a new talent a new technology so i try to keep everybody like energized about new stuff coming out and, you know how important it is to learn that technology no that's awesome um, so is there anything else you'd like to talk about or, or, or anything like that? Or, man, I can, I can go on for hours. That's a question, <laughs> question to ask me. Um, no, but I, I think we covered it. And I think that, you know, our, our backgrounds are very similar. Um, you know, I came from an honest upbringing and, and yeah. you know, into this new technology driven world. I actually just got my first robotic, uh, vacuum cleaner yesterday. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm a little behind the times on that, yeah. but, um, yeah. So yeah, I think we covered it. I really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure having you on, an honor having you on, man. Like, 
um we'll definitely have to keep in touch and uh absolutely connected for sure thank you for coming on man absolutely thank you all right later Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode. I really hope you enjoyed this. I hope you took something from it. I really hope that you can reach out to uh, Hackers for Vets, try to get some information. Hopefully, they can help you out if you're interested. I'll put all the information in the show notes. And as always, be the light in someone's dark.